listeners, actually, it's, nobody denies the fact that there are more food allergies roaming the globe now <laughs> than, than you, you could ever imagine. And um, ask any chef, restaurant chef, or ask anybody who has any allergy about how complicated it can be. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, to Kayla Capiello, and um, she has produced this amazing book that it took forever, I'm sure, to put it together. The title is Easy Allergy-Free Cooking, Simple and Safe Everyday Recipes for Everyone. Welcome to On the Menu, Kayla. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's, it's a masterful accomplishment. My first thought was, you know, how long did this take you? <laughs> it's been in the works a long time, you said. Yeah, for sure. I took about a year to write the cookbook itself, but that was mainly just the writing process. Um, I've been working on some of these recipes for years and years since I went gluten-free when I found out I had celiac, and then the same thing when I found out I was lactose intolerant. So some of these recipes have been perfecting for five she's, years. <laughs> she's got another one. She's three allergies. <laughs> Not yes, I also Trina. am allergic to Trina. <laughs> wow. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, I got confused even just reading these, the recipes as to uh, what is substituted for what and why. I mean, this is a, a masterful effort. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> I try to make it like user friendly. So let's say you are dairy free, then like in each box you can look for the simple dairy free substitute. But as simple as it seems in the recipe itself, it was not that simple to come up with. Right. I kept thinking as I was reading through the recipes um, and the substitutions is what is the allergy and what, what are we doing yeah. here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's like, you know, you can sub yogurt in some of my baking recipes instead of using eggs. But then if you were dairy-free, you couldn't use yogurt. So I had to come up with a different substitution. Uh-huh. Well, um, yeah, I mean, the, you, you, you start out with giving people a place to start. is like what to do with your larder. I mean, how do you stock your, your kitchen larder? And, and there are fortunately some great products out there now that hadn't been around uh, forever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, like vegan cheese, for example. Yeah, for sure. I think yeah. that definitely helped me along the way because when I started this process, it was, like, easy to eliminate all the things I knew now that I couldn't have or the things that were making me sick, but it was really hard to fill that hole again it felt like there was a void in my pantry and I just didn't know what to buy. I also have in the beginning chapters like a little worksheet on how to find your favorite substitutes because just because you buy one brand of, let's say, dairy-free vegan cheddar cheese doesn't mean that it's going to be the best one that you like the best. So I kind of kept the chart for myself as I went through all the different brands out there and all the different options to figure out what I wanted to keep buying over and over because it is so expensive these days to find all these substitutes and buy them all and give them all a little rating and see which ones work in which recipe because there are ones out there that work great when you're making pizza because they melt great. 
but it's not the same when you're putting just a plain piece of, like, cheese on a sandwich. It's not melted, and it doesn't taste the same. So those were really hard to navigate. Well, I mean, like, if you have multiple allergies like this, I mean, you have to be limited, aren't you? For sure. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of cheeses on the market that are like, let's say they're vegan and they're dairy-free, but they're actually made with almonds, and I just can't have almonds because <laughs> I'm allergic. So it was such a trial and error, like just walking through grocery stores and like researching online, being like, okay, is it gluten-free? Is it lactose-free? Is it dairy-free? Is it almond-free? And it's, it's so time-consuming. And I think the same thing applies. Like when I go to a restaurant, I'm like this customer that has to ask all of these questions. Well, of course, chefs are losing their marbles over all these <laughs> it's allergies. It's really difficult. It's, it's really tough because, um, I mean, it, you can't even tell sometimes what's a real allergy somebody's talking about or or it's just it, they don't like it. I mean, like one chef yeah, said that so he had to make I, extra broth because – uh, he had customers come in to say they were allergic to garlic. Well, it wasn't that they were allergic to garlic. Uh, they they didn't like garlic, <laughs> yeah, which is I very different so from my aunt who would die if she ate shrimp. Uh, exactly. You know? It's so confusing, especially for restaurants, because it's like you want everybody to take your allergy seriously and, like, know that there's a chance your throat is going to close up or – like you're going to get very seriously ill and end up in the hospital. And when people are saying they're allergic to something more of a preference and less of a dietary restriction, I think it definitely changes in people's minds, like the importance and the severity of that issue. I mean, I get it. Like people are definitely like allergic to wheat or they're sensitive to wheat or they have celiac disease or they're just sensitive to gluten. But when people are saying, you know, it's just a preference, I don't like garlic, but like mm-hmm. I'm allergic to garlic, it's like it's a very different tone. Yeah, I, they have all kinds of tricks. For you, you talk about reading labels. I mean, I remember when I was hosting mm-hmm. a Thanksgiving, a family Thanksgiving dinner where one of my cousin's children a child, one of the children, one of the child, one of the children, um, was vegan, and boy, I, never had I read so many labels in my life. And <laughs> and they they sneak stuff into everything. They definitely do. So I'm not allergic to sesame, but I was just reading this article about oh, how sesame, yeah, yeah, they're making um, the United States is making sesame one of like the bigger allergies and talking about adding it. So right now there's a list of like the top nine allergies that people try to avoid, but sesame is on that list. So they want to call it out in labels. And instead of companies making sure that they are using no sesame and that their label reflects how safe they're being, they're adding small amounts of sesame to things so they can just call yeah, it out on the safer side instead, which is crazy. I read that. I thought that was very strange. I didn't quite understand the point of that. I know. I thought that was really crazy. But then it's like if they say there's a small amount of sesame in it, then they don't have to go through the whole process of making sure their kitchen is, like, cleaned of all sesame. But, like, how how disappointing for people who are allergic to that. Terrible, terrible. Um, they, you You have, like primary substitutes in your, um, the start of your book. Um, what, what are the most revolutionary ones that you encountered, potential substitutes with really strict allergy 
outcomes if you don't watch? Well, I think, like, one of the biggest ones for me was obviously, like, the start of it was, like, the gluten-free flour because there's so many different gluten-free flours out there. It's, like, if a recipe calls for wheat flour, you can't just sub it for coconut flour, even though coconut flour is gluten-free, which in the beginning I had no idea about. But things like coconut flour, it has a very, it's a very drying flour, and it absorbs all the moisture from a recipe. So if it's, like, a bread or a cake or a cupcake, you don't want to use that because your product's going to be, like, super dry when you get to your finished product. And in the beginning, I had, I had no idea So after a while, it was like you need to use a blend of different flours. So sometimes they use like potato starch and brown rice flour and quinoa flour and things like that in chickpea flour just in place of it. So you're not focusing on just one element like the dryness of coconut flour. And I think that was very eye-opening to me. Also, like so many one-to-one flowers out there come up with those blends for you, and once you're able to utilize that, it's a world of difference. But that was a huge learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing with, like, baking. I feel like I can eat eggs, but a lot of people can't. So I tried to come up with a lot of substitutes in baking that, didn't, that you didn't need eggs for because a lot of people get confused when I say I'm dairy-free or my recipe is dairy-free. A lot of people think that means no eggs, which it really doesn't. But I try to accommodate those people anyway, and finding substitutes for eggs in baking recipes was very difficult in the beginning. Yeah, I thought really informative was your little uh, box on quick crusts. Oh, yes. That's Tell us favorite. about that. So, <laughs> so I that, really love I mean, it's amazing. I didn't, I didn't know this existed. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, like, what to do once I found out I had to eat gluten-free because I had celiac disease and I loved ordering pizza in. But it was like the convenience of placing a pizza order or picking up a slice and it takes two seconds. And how could I replicate like a similar style dinner without making this whole crust from scratch and putting in like all this work? I just wanted like a simple weeknight dinner. So I started researching like different tortillas to make it on or gluten-free French bread slices to make a French bread pizza or a pizza bagel. And I think that was the funnest chapter to write. Uh, yeah, who, who knew? <laughs> so uh, you, yeah. had a, you, you had to change your whole lifestyle with these allergies. And um, uh, what was the hardest thing for you to change up? I think – it wasn't even the baking or the cooking. It was the not being able to keep my routine. So ordering in, going out to dinner, like making muffins from a quick little mix. It was like you had to put so much effort into everything to make sure that you were eating things that were safe for you. And I wasn't even that upset about how different the food tasted in the beginning. I was more upset about the way it changed just like my daily everyday routine like I was putting no thought into what I was eating before this and knowing what I know now it was like I had to change entirely how I thought about food and like nourishing my body and in the beginning like you can't wrap your head around that but years later looking back that was definitely like the biggest struggle is always the first struggle yeah, well, you found some some great substitutions for baking. When we talk about baking, is applesauce, which I had heard of before, 
mashed bananas and yes. pureed pumpkin or your sweet potatoes or butternut squash. I didn't know about yes. that one at all. So yeah, so that, all three of those are, like, very moist, and you can mash them very easily, so they replicate that moisture that you need in a baking recipe. Um, and I actually, like, obviously it's not – like a food allergy, but it is a dietary restriction. I do have high cholesterol. It runs in my family. So I really tried to, like, take a minute to, like, change or give substitutes in all these recipes for people who are looking for low-fat options. And the mashed banana, like the applesauce instead of an egg, is a huge way to save on cholesterol and the saturated fat and the amount of fat in a baked good. And I just totally, like, took that and ran with it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, you, you did a really good job on identifying, even though it, it, you can't say it's a major allergy. Um, you took into account um, people who really uh, wanted to have low fat, um, which, I mean, you talk about life-changing, I think. that This one was a shock me. Tell our listeners about pork rind breadcrumbs. Oh, yes. Never heard of that. I stumbled upon them at a grocery store one time, and I was like, what the heck is this? So I did some Googling, and I saw that you were able to substitute them instead of regular breadcrumbs. And I just was like, let's check this out. I've never heard of that. Actually, they were pork rind chips, which are similar to, like, I'm not sure how to describe them. Like, you know those onion chips you can get? I think they're called Funyuns in the grocery store. I don't they're know about them either. <laughs> the, the texture is very similar. Like they're they're puffed and they're crispy and they're very crunchy. So I knew if I used them as a breading that they wouldn't get soft and mushy. They would actually crisp up instead. So I went home and I threw them in my blender and I breaded some chicken with it and it came out phenomenal. And we've been doing it ever since because there's no bread involved. So it ends up being a super low-carb way to have something taste breaded but not actually be breaded. And it's obviously naturally gluten-free, so that worked out in my favor as well. Yeah. The, um, some of these, you, you put these little, uh, what do we call these now? I used to know what they were called, these little um, rectangles with the uh, call-outs, the, mm-hmm. um, the little hits. Uh, that will tell you, I mean, if you read through the recipe itself, um, you'll see two tablespoons of Parmesan cheese, and you'll say, well, that's that's really not legit. But then you, you, you have your little, um, your little block here. It says dairy-free. Use vegan Parmesan cheese. Um, when we talk about the flavor, uh, I mean, how do you equate the flavor of like vegan parmesan cheese and vegan mayo mayo so there's a few different so there's a few different ones like out there on the market i think i've gone through all of them like in in exploring what i wanted to include in here and i think for me some brands are more on target where if i served my fiance dairy free parmesan cheese he would never know the difference or If I served him, like, vegan mayo, he would never know the difference. But then there were ones out there on the market where, like, he absolutely would know the difference. And for me at home, I think I spent a lot of time keeping notes on the ones where we wouldn't know the difference and the taste was as similar as I can get to the real thing. 
But some of them out there are, like, very nutty tasting, very, like, earthy tasting, because they're obviously made from more, like, organic and, like, plant-derived ingredients. So they're never going to taste as cheesy or as salty or as crispy. But I think as you go through the process like I did, eventually you find ones where you're like, oh, I almost didn't know the difference. (laughs) And those are the brands, like, we end up buying. But then, like, when I go to an Italian restaurant and I take a lactate pill because it helps me then process, like, if I eat regular dairy cheese, then I'm like, oh, yeah, like, this Parmesan cheese is very different. (laughs) Uh Well, um, you you have – well, have you built in? I mean, like I, I have to say that I, almost all gluten-free. I'm sure there are exceptions, but almost all gluten-free commercial foods I've tasted taste like cardboard. <laughs> yes, and I think that is definitely like the sentiment of the whole gluten-free community. It's like the bread is drier, the bread is smaller, the pizza crusts are like cardboard, and I think it's so frustrating to like have to like settle and eat that and it's annoying to me so I think that's kind of why in a lot of these recipes I try to use ingredients that are naturally gluten-free so like instead of buying gluten-free taco shells that are going to mimic flour ones I just buy the corn ones because I know corn ones were designed to be naturally gluten-free and they are very good but like once you start going, like, slice for slice on bread, gluten-free bread is not good. It's boring. It's not, <laughs> it's not moist at all. You can't get, like, that nice, like, crusty outside. It's, like, very different. Um, I think there are brands out there that do do a nicer job. Like, I really enjoy the Shars brand. I think they do a really nice job on, like, coming the closest that they can come. Um, I also buy this brand of pizza dough. It's called Holy Gluten-Free Pizza Dough, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And they do a really nice job of replicating, like, that doughy consistency that a pizza should have. But, like, are these available everywhere? No. Like, they're not huge, like, mass market things that you can buy at, like, every single grocery store. And that's so hard for people who don't live in, like, a city area. Oh, yeah. And and pricey as well. I mean, the pricey stuff is. Yeah, for sure. So I was actually just at a restaurant this weekend. It was an Italian restaurant in Philadelphia. And they oh, which was? Um, it's called Giorgio's on Pine. Oh, shoot. It's, it's one that's been there for a million years. I used to live in Philadelphia. Oh, my gosh. No way. They have a whole oh. gluten-free menu with, like, gluten-free pasta options, which is great. But we were talking with our waiter, and in Italy, if you're gluten-free, they said one in five people in Italy um, is gluten-free from celiac disease. But the government gives that person $200 to be spending a month on these gluten-free products because it's more expensive. And I'm like, we don't get that here. No, I didn't know they did that in Italy. And it's it's much more expensive to buy a gluten-free product. Yeah. I follow um, a few accounts on Instagram. Georgia's, I can't believe that restaurant's still going. <laughs> I know. It was really good. We had a great time. Oh, yeah. We, we always loved it. It was very popular. Um, just so to give our listeners an idea, let's, let's run through one of these recipes. Uh, sure. One I'm picking, because uh, I found this one the most challenging, was how you corrected for allergies on the recipe for chocolate, peanut butter, French toast sticks. Oh, yes. 
and and your your, your claim is gluten free options, dairy free, lower fat, lower sugar, and vegan. That's a lot to claim. <laughs> that is. <laughs> so tell us what you did. So for this one, I started with obviously gluten-free bread. I just put in here bread of choice because if you also need it to be dairy-free or vegan, like you could choose from it, but I just used some plain gluten-free bread. Um, and normally in French toast, you have to use milk, but I used a plant-based milk. Normally in French toast, you would use a butter in the pan for frying it, but I ended up using a vegan butter. And then when you're making your French toast, you normally crack eggs into it. But yeah. I chose to either use egg whites for a lower fat option or mashed bananas for either the lower fat option or the vegan option. It ends up keeping the French toast moist and, you know, that, that good crispy outer crust that you like on French toast just so you're not frying bread in some boring butter. Um, I also like to put powdered sugar on the top of my French toast, so I found a good powdered sugar substitute, so it's actually sugar-free, but for people who don't need a sugar-free option, they don't have to buy it that way. Um, you could use coconut sugar instead. I think that's always, like, a good example as well. And then basically every ingredient you needed for this recipe is tailored to whatever dietary restriction you have. Yeah, well, I mean, you you have here, I mean... Say, um, you say, add cocoa powder, peanut yes. butter powder, and sugar. Yes. That's, no, so I, add, I add ahead. all three of those things to my mixture with the egg and the milk because if you don't add the cocoa powder or the peanut butter powder, you're not really getting this really sugary treat of a French toast. You're kind of getting this boring, flavorless situation, which I hated. But I didn't want to be adding, let's say, three tablespoons of sugar because that seems like so much. And at the end of the day, it's like you don't want to be eating bread just with sugar. So by adding the cocoa powder and the peanut butter powder, they're both like naturally, they're not there's no added sugar in it, it's gluten-free, there's no dairy in it. So it was this way to create like a peanut butter chocolate flavor by just adding some things that were healthy and balanced and not necessarily like full of sugar. I didn't want to be using melted chocolate. I didn't want to be using peanut butter that's already mixed with oil like in a jar. It was like the easiest and simplest form of the flavor that I wanted. Well, how do you get sugar-free maple syrup? I thought it was just, had sugar in it just naturally. Oh, for sure. So I just got one that's labeled sugar-free. I actually get mine from Trader Joe's. It has a sugar substitute in it, but it's technically um, like made from stevia. It's not actual sugar. Huh. Well, I mean, there's one after another eye-opener in in this book. (laughs) (laughs) What which one do you think is your biggest discovery? Um, I think probably one of my biggest things that I ended up doing a lot going forward after like I had heard about it the first time was I have a taco salad in here, but instead of using ground meat, I used ground tater tots that I seasoned with. Yeah, taco. I didn't get that one. You said you couldn't <laughs> tell the difference. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah, so. I, Go ahead. <laughs> My favorite part of a taco salad is like that crispy, 
flavoring that you get from whatever the ground meat is. So let's say I'm using, like, ground beef for my normal taco salad. I'm, like, frying that ground beef in a frying pan until it's so crispy that once I put it in my salad, I'm crunching on it, and I love that texture. So instead Mm -hmm. of having the meat or the beef or using, like, ground chicken or ground turkey, I ended up testing it out with ground tater tots. So I mashed them up so they were in, like, little pieces. I added a little bit of oil and all this taco seasoning, and I was able to recreate the same texture. And what was great about it was when I do it with the ground beef, I put so much seasoning on it that I'm only tasting the seasoning. So by the time I got to do the ground tater tots, it was like it had the right crunch, it had the right seasoning, and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that I just can't, I can't quite get my head around is like tzatziki without the yogurt. I mean, I just, I don't know. So, like, I do do have to say I'm obviously not a chef. Like, I have no professional training, but it was, like, this was so reflective of my journey to, like, recreate things I had been enjoying my whole life and how to accommodate, like, myself but other people into enjoying the same things. So I'm like, if I can just get, like, as close as I can to that texture I remember or that taste I remember or, like, anything like that, it was something that I continued making over and over. Yeah, well, I mean, you've repeatedly mentioned um, your sensitivity to texture. You know, not everybody is as schooled in that as as you are, obviously are. Um, Yeah, so I think that was huge for me, like, I couldn't wrap my head around, like, buying, let's say, like, a frozen pizza, even though it was gluten-free, and then it was, like, floppy and mushy and messy, and, like, that was supposed to replace my pizza shop pizza. Like, texture for me was such a huge thing to try to replicate. I just could not accept when things were different than the way I had remembered it, like, before all these allergies. So I think I spent a lot of time, like, going back and, like, honing that that texture to make sure it was, like, the closest I could get to what I remembered. Right. Well, you, you have things that I mean, people will love. It's like your salad section. Um, people, you don't have to give up on salads, for sure. I mean, you know, how many variations on arugula salad here? Oh, my gosh. I love – okay, so that's definitely my favorite meal. I love an arugula salad. But Uh I was like, how many times can I keep photographing this for the cookbook? (laughs) Oh, we we always grow it. I just – once the season's here, I just – I mean, I have to do smaller now, but we used to have a big half barrel, and I used to just sow crops like every week, you know, so I had a continuous (laughs) supply of arugula. So, um, yeah, and you also, um, you jump into um, desserts, which has been one of the the trickiest of your sections. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely... All that baking. Yeah, baking is obviously the hardest for me. I think with cooking, you can kind of take some creative liberties and season the way you want to season it, or add and subtract the way you want to. But with baking, it's so much more of a science that I thought that was the hardest section. Well, there's chemistry. I mean, you you go to some of these alternative flowers, and and it's hard to predict what's going to happen. 
Yeah, for sure. And there are so many times where I tried, like, I have a pumpkin chocolate chip bread in here, and it uses, um, like, bananas and applesauce, but it also uses gluten-free flour for a one-to-one ratio. So I use a gluten-free flour blend, but I've tried this recipe with every gluten-free flour out there. So coconut flour, chickpea flour, quinoa flour, brown rice flour, and it's like you said, I'm so focused on the texture that every single time it was a flop because mm-hmm. the texture wasn't right. So I think, like, this this section was really hard to come up with because you just have to have, like, that right combination and ratio of ingredients. And, like, you can't be taking little little creative liberties the way you can when you're cooking. Yeah, but it, you really treat um, applesauce as a... As a lifesaver, yeah, <laughs> and using and, and bananas, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest trick with desserts, do you think, is what? Um, I think like that that swap between eggs and something else that's moist to be able to remove any kind of egg product. I also use a lot of peanut butter or tahini or any kind of like nut butter or chickpea butter in replace of regular butter because that's so important to keep the right texture and the right flavoring and the right moistness in a baking ingredient. And once I was able to figure out a one-to-one swap of yeah, every time there's one egg, you add a quarter of a cup of applesauce. Or every time it calls for a half a cup of butter, use half a cup of peanut butter instead. Once I was able to come up with that, like, ratio, it was easier to go recipe by recipe and kind of figure it out along the way. But before I came up with that ratio, the trial and error was really difficult. I imagine it was probably pretty yes. depressing, yes. actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's the, really the salted chocolate and banana bread blondies. You you call for um, vegan sugar. I didn't know that. I guess yeah. All right, yeah, I so, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regular brown sugar. Um, you can get it with, it, like brown sugar is basically just sugar, and then it's added with like molasses. Sometimes there can be butter in it, and you can't always count that the brand you're buying on is vegan. And I just felt like these really needed, like, some some good sugar, some good sweetener in it. So as you go along, like, I try to make sure that people are buying things that they know are vegan, and they're mm-hmm. not accidentally getting something that maybe along the line was mixed with like a byproduct of an animal. Another, I personally make them, but they're not in this cookbook. I make a lot of brownies with marshmallows on top. And it's the same thing, like even though marshmallows like seemingly aren't made from any kind of like dairy, they're really just sugar. They do like run the risk of coming from like an animal byproduct. So it's like, it's really hard to be able to tell people what to buy without saying buy this brand because you know it's safe. Uh Uh-huh. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're there? Yeah. Good. Uh, this, um, everything but the kitchen sink brownies, I think well, the people with allergies are going to have a heyday with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're really good. You solve all the problems with that. Coconut. <laughs> you, you, you solve so many problems with that. 
Yeah, and they also, that version has a higher protein option, so you can add some protein powder into it to make sure that it's, it's higher in protein if you're vegan and you're not getting your protein from somewhere else. Well, I must say that uh, this is going to be a welcome addition uh, to the kitchen libraries of, of many people. <laughs> that, um, of course, I mean, I have my own theory about why we have so many food allergies because we never had so many before. And that's when, uh, when my grandchildren were born, I saw the, um, the, the, the directions on the refrigerator uh, for feeding our grandchildren. And these pediatricians wouldn't allow you to have any fish until you're past two years old. And it went on oh like gosh. that. And, and I, I begin to think that that's probably why we ended up where we are. With, um, yeah, it's, it's really tough. And if I, I like, mean, after all that, then you suddenly long. introduce these products into a diet. Right. With, as, yeah. So, yeah. Well, you, you did a sterling job. And... Um, the, uh, the poor dairy farmers are really in bad shape. <laughs> I mean, my great uncle was a dairy farmer, so I'm sensitive to that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with just making people not call it milk. As long as they yeah. don't call it milk, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Almond <laughs> beverage or something. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, once again, listeners, it's Kayla Capiello, and you're going to thank her forever and ever if you get a hold of her book, Easy Allergy-Free Cooking. And you did a bang-up job, Kayla, and thank thanks for you. talking to us. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Oh, listeners, you're going to be delighted with a really fun guy, Mike Hernandez. Welcome to On The Menu. Um, Thank you very much, and hello, everyone. uh, Yeah, and you are co-founder with two friends, is it? Yeah, well, one, my husband. husband. Your husband is the one. Yes. And uh, weren't there three of you, I thought? No. No? No, just the two. Not three. Okay, two. And um, Casa M Spice Company is the company we're talking about and its products, um, what is the is CASA M? What does the M stand for? So CASA M is the house of Manny and Mike. Okay. <laughs> That's good. And you have a good um, backstory about why you started this. Uh, I, one thing I, I would like to kind of read at the outset, though, because I was – I got such a kick out of. I've gotten a kick out of a lot of your uh, your your printed materials, um, but I, I got a kick out of your description of who you are, and I thought I'd read that just for the listeners to get an idea of the kind of um, people we're dealing with. Fun people, and with a good sense of humor, although very serious as well. But your your little brief bio is. 
Uh, you're so interesting. A devoted husband, serial entrepreneur, PhD in chemical physics, which is, of course, why you have the doctor in front of your name. But here is this, listeners. Skydiving instructor, master parachute rigger, and then, wait, that's not even enough, you scuba instructor, <laughs> photographer, amateur celebrity chef. I'm not so sure about that, what that means. <laughs> a barbecue guru, chili fiend, uh, and a nice parenthesis, enough close parenthesis guy, and lollygagger. Now, what, <laughs> now what's, a, what's, a, what's a lollygagger? The lollygagger extraordinary is somebody who tinkers in a lot of stuff. Okay, all right. (laughs) Well, you seem to have a lot of fun. And I saw that video that you produced. Tell us about that. So that was was fun. That was uh, very impromptu. We got got asked if we would like to do a a video interview for, um, um, no, it's escaping me, um, dot-com magazine. And and we did, we did that interview with them, and on almost no no prep or any notice, um, he, he called us up and said, "Hey, I got some free time. Do you have some time to talk?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I haven't prepped for anything." He says, "Oh, don't worry about it. I got it." And he starts asking questions. We're on we're on camera. It's me and Manny. Uh, he asked questions about it. We had a blast. It was uh, it ended up being about 30 minutes long. The video is uh, available on the web on our YouTube channel. If you go and click on that, uh, anybody can go and watch that and listen. It, it was a kick. It was a lot of fun. It's fun. It's lots of fun, listeners. You should follow now, up on that now, invitation. The, now, the r- rumor that you taught George Bush to skydive, this is I false. did, in fact. I, well, I didn't teach him to skydive. Let me, re- let me backtrack. I did not. I, I, <laughs> I, made, I made the very first parachute that he jumped for his first intentional parachute jump. Because remember, <laughs> when he was in the Navy... When he was in the Navy, he bailed out over the water and, and did an unintentional skydive. I didn't, I didn't make that one, nor did I pack that one. <laughs> when he did his very first skydive, intentional skydive, he jumped out, and Yuma, with the Golden Knights uh, flanking him, did an AFF jump, accelerated freefall. And I was working for a parachute manufacturer in Chambly, Georgia at the time, and I ended up making the parachute that he used uh, to make that very first skydive. And as a result, after the fact... Uh, we got invited to a conference in, uh, in Houston where we had dinner with him and Barbara. It's really, it's really true. Huh? I mean, he really did. Yes, had a blast. Yeah, actually, <laughs> my signature is on the uh, is on the parachute itself that is displayed at the uh, presidential library. Really? Oh, wow. It is, in fact. In fact, I'll give you another tidbit. The, the, the people at the library will tell you that's the one he jumped. That's not actually the one he jumped. We made two that were identical. Uh, we knew we were going to put one in the ar- we knew we were going to put one in the archives, and we knew that he wanted to keep one. So the one that he has at his home is his uh, that stays at his home. The one that's on display in the library is one that was never jumped, and we know it was never jumped because the way that we made it, we sewed the front edge of the parachute closed so that he could actually put a blower in the back of it to keep it inflated and displayed at the museum. Okay, you know your personality, your loose, experimental, uh, experiential. Uh, you, you have your fingers in a lot of different pies. That's not my usual idea about a chemist. 
uh, chemistry was the one subject I hated because it was so rigid. I think I, I agree with you to a large extent. I, I, I know just enough chemistry to get me in trouble, and I know just enough physics to get me in trouble. The physicists don't claim me. The chemists don't claim me. I'm kind of a, a hybrid in between because I, I, like you, thought that organic chemistry and inorganic chemistry were really tough. Uh, I gravitated toward physical chemistry, which is funny because everybody else says, woof, physical chemistry is the worst ever. Uh, for me, I never even had to study. It just came, it came so easy. Um, so that's why I gravitated toward that. And then when I started blowing stuff up with lasers, that, you know, that was such a guy thing and so much fun. I didn't really even think through the whole, what do you do with that after you graduate? Because there's not a lot <laughs> you can do with that. That, where, that where pays did, money. And, and, and you get to keep your conscience, too. Where, where, did you, where, did, where did you go to school? Tulane, so that's where I picked up the. Oh, that's go. where I picked up the love for spices. Uh, have, you, you got ahead of the next question. Which is? Sorry. Well, no, I just, I just gave him the question. He was uh, he was already ahead of it. <laughs> one one thing. So when I, I when I graduated I, from when I graduated from Tulane, I moved up to Ohio and quickly found out that uh, up there, when you say chili, they think you're talking about skyline chili. <laughs> Which is right, delicious. right. It's delicious, but it's spelled with an I instead of an E, right? So I, I know more exactly about the, chili, the chili plants, and they were talking about the stuff they put over spaghetti. Delicious, still. <laughs> um, so mom was shipping me spices from New Orleans, and every time I would get one, I would look at the back and the ingredients, and she was shipping me mostly salt. So I stopped having her ship me uh, these spices, and I started having her ship me raw, raw chilies and stuff that I couldn't get up in Ohio. Uh, at the time, of course, remember this is before Amazon. It, it's kind of a food desert. Exactly, exactly, exactly. They seem to claim a, an active food scene in Cleveland, but I mean, I haven't seen it actually. <laughs> and and Columbus, I mean, I have a cousin living there, and I'm, I'm, I I can't see you there either. So German Village is nice in the Columbus metro area, and um, the Amish folks that do the family-style prep meals out in the country, those are, uh-huh. those are also awesome. So those, those two areas were, were really great for food in that area. But, yeah, you're right. There's, there's not a lot of options there. Well, now, give us the story. There's a great place where they make brownies, actually, huh? Brownies. Oh, yeah, that's good. That, um, Brownie points is great brownies. They they make every conceivable flavor you would ever imagine. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm you a big, fan look of, big fan of brownies. Brownie points. Ah, uh, gotcha. Just look it up, and you you'll be amazed okay. what they produce. And, and, and contrary to popular reports, you will gain about eight pounds. Every, every day you consume a few brownies along the way. I actually gave gave away the last of the box of brownies that they sent us from Columbus, only because I couldn't stand the weight. Yeah, I, I, I'll believe that. I can get in, I can get in a serious bit of hurt with some chocolate. Now, but this specific company. Now, you were involved with a bunch of other companies before, correct? 
Yes, I when I figured out that I couldn't actually make a living doing the chemical physics thing, uh, and then after I had discovered that professional skydiving probably isn't a lifelong thing, um, could could be it just probably wouldn't have been for me. Um, I, I moved into information security and started an information security company that ended up getting sold and listed on the New York Stock Exchange. All the while, oh, wow. the spices are going in the background, right? So for fifteen uh-huh. years, I've been refining and honing chain reaction what became what was now is now chain reaction was my all-purpose blend uh before so that that was brewing all along that 15 years and then when uh manny and i got together we kind of put a fork in chain reaction because his side of the family brought the southwest influence to my cajun influenced um all-purpose blend and we and we came up with chain reaction as a name uh, yeah that's your first spice blend. Yes. Let's say homage to my physics background. So there's chain reaction, which is the moderate heat one. There's uncontrolled chain reaction, which is the double heat variety. And there's controlled chain reaction, which is the half heat variety. I see. Now, um, so you you started out with this one uh, blend, right? Or yes. did you have more when you started? And when did you realize no, I, I really only company? worked on Chain Reaction until Manny and I got together. And when Manny and I got together, we started working on – it wasn't called Chain Reaction at the time. So when we would, when we would do briskets, we would take Chain Reaction, and I would doctor it up a little bit to make something for beef. Uh, when we did lamb, I would take the Chain Reaction, and I would doctor it up to do something with, uh, with that for lamb. So what we ended up with, multiple different – rubs that started all started with chain reactions. So when the company came together, it was as a result of everybody coming to Casa M for dinner and cornering Manny at the kitchen door when they were leaving saying, what did Mike put on this? Will it give me the, uh, will it give me the recipe and the ingredient list for that rub or can I buy some? And Manny says, you know, I feel like I'm selling dime bags of chain reaction out of the kitchen. <laughs> if, you could design, if you could design a label for that, that'd be great. Yeah, well, of course, but how many blends do you have? Let's let's kind of describe. I mean, you have um, your printed material is very thorough, I and mean, it tells you um, like what what goes with what and so forth. Although you leave a lot of room for playing around with it. With you can devices. definitely play around a lot because even our our lamb rub, which is one of my favorites, is super versatile. It's good on every vegetable I've ever put it on. It's good um, yeah, on chicken. It's good. Oh yeah, and chicken. It's it's yeah, it's super good. We just I targeted it for lamb, and I thought Good Shepherd was a name that was too good to pass up. So we have a Good Shepherd lamb rub that is good on practically anything you put it on. And now your names are very clever for the different spice combinations. I mean, people, people can figure out the what? That was definitely one of the things that we thought was lacking in the industry when we first started. We looked at the packaging and thought that the packaging was boring. So in addition, to, you have to do the plastic shaker because that's what all the groceries want to put on their shelves. But what people uh-huh. want is something that's better looking, that's a little bit more sustainable. So what we did is come up with a stainless steel shaker that has a uh, refillable refill bag that you can open to pour into that, re- that stainless shaker. So you never have to throw the shaker away. You just buy cheap refill bags to keep refilling it. And, and what about these little plastic lids? So the plastic silicone lids that go over the top cover the holes mm-hmm. in the, sh- uh, silico- the stainless shaker to keep the spices fresh. Oh, so that keeps them fresh as well. 
Correct. That's that's very good. Um, the people could look at the names of these places that are so clever and know what it goes on. I mean, well, ch- chain reaction was a little bit more obscure, I think. But, uh, chain reaction but, can go on anything, and when I say anything, I mean anything, anything. Initially, we said it it wouldn't go on on ice cream, but I will tell you that we have uh, last summer we came up with a dessert that is essentially um, a chocolate pot de creme that has our jerk chain in it. So it has a Jamaican uh-huh. jerk spice in the wow. chocolate mousse. And it is the most divine thing you've ever put in your mouth. It's super decadent and amazing. So chain reaction can really do just about anything from sweet to savory, dairy. Uh, it's fa- fabulous on feta cheese. Uh, it's fabulous on uh, cucumbers. It's uh, We've not found anything that Chain Reaction is not ridiculously good on. I wish I had known you when I was in my green peppercorn phase. I decided that green peppercorns would be good on everything, including chocolate cake. But I'm not a, a baker, and so um, I... I couldn't find anybody to make me to bake me a chocolate cake with green peppercorns, but you could probably picture that it would be good, right? Actually, the the chocolate chili combo is really good. Chocolate pepper combo in general, because of the pungency, can be really good. So black pepper, green pepper, the pink peppercorns, you just have to use them in uh, in moderation. Chain Reaction does have pepper in it, so it would not surprise me at all that a chocolate cake mm-hmm. with with uh, with green peppers would be good. Well, you, you green cover pepper all. Corn, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, you were saying something. Yeah, that would be good. Just as a way of pointing this out. Certainly, no criticism intended, but your 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 focus is on powdered. On what? That, that product line is, 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 is powders rather than liquids. Correct. Right. Rubs, mainly. Yeah, most spices are dry form of it. Don't you think? Well, it, it, yeah. it varies. I was, I, was, I was going to ask Mike if he'd ever come across our old friend Stubbs, Stubblefield. Who had? Who had the? Uh, I've not met him. I know of him. I know. You know of him, company. okay? There you go. Yeah. Oh yeah. He he sold uh, McCormick a while back. Yeah, apparently he's been the company's been very very successful. It has definitely. But he he he, he had he had, he he had people who fell in love with what he was doing. So that, so they right. we're we're kind of hoping him. to follow his footsteps, and if McCormick is listening, we would be open to a discussion. That's the way you go. That's that's the way you make money on specialty food. You you start off with a small company and you find people who love it and you expand and and then you sell it to some big, some kind of big producer and that's how you make your money. So uh, you certainly don't make it on selling a product. I can tell you that. No, that's for sure. Uh, That's like That's wine. The distributors, the distributors make money. The grocery makes money. The, the manufacturer, makes money. we don't, we don't make so much money. <laughs> we make good products. Yeah, but you don't make the money. I know. So, but um, now, 
how do you, you've had so much experience with, with the business end of it. How do you get that kind of build up so you attract attention of, I mean, I don't expect McCormick, but it's something larger. It's tough. It's it's uh, it's a very tough industry. Uh, we none of us had any in, industry experience to start with, right? So, the team the team is um, my CFO from my former information security job or or company. Uh, she came over with me, so she she and I have worked together for almost uh, almost seventeen years now. Um, oh wow! So she she came over with me, and she runs uh, she runs the back end of the business. Manny and I um, run the day-to-day operations, and then we've got our nephew who runs uh, the, the warehouse for us, and then we've got three guys that help us. Um, four, four, I'm sorry, four guys that help us total in the in the warehouse and fulfillment and marketing and store visits and that sort of stuff. So we're spread we're spread thin. We're small, um, but it's a tough it's a tough industry to get noticed in. Oh, especially the, now. I mean, it, it used to be where it was uh, almost niche, the spice. But now everybody's making spices and spice blends. And, and the big thing, the trends I perceive include many, many almost unlikely or unforeseeable collaborations with other specialty food uh, makers. Do you find that, and how do you, have yes. you been approached? We we have definitely found that that is the case. Uh, we found that things move very slowly in this industry, which is a hundred percent different than my last industry, which moved so fast you could barely keep up with it. So, it's been a shift in our mentality from how to grow the company because even if we tried to grow the company faster, we couldn't grow the company faster because the grocery stores just don't move that fast. Their reviews are every two to three years instead of multiple times. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so getting on the shelves is non-trivial. And if you don't have a good relationship with a distributor and you're not marketing heavily into that distributor channel – you're not going to get placement on the shelves. And even when you do get placement on the shelves, the distributor may or may not do a good job of servicing you on the shelves. Um, we've had completely different experiences with our uh, on-shelf presences in Albertsons versus on-shelf presence in Kroger versus on-shelf presence in, uh, say, HEB uh, or any of the other big chains that, that, uh, that we're placed in. They, they all do it a little bit different, and you have to keep an mm-hmm. eye on all of them. Uh, because hard. you really don't have anybody else that's advocating for you in the store anymore. You used to, but you don't anymore. Is that right? Okay. Well, well I mean, I, you came to our attention because you won this, uh, is, how do you pronounce it, Kehi? Yeah, the Kehi On Trend Award, that's something we've yes. been um, working on for a while, actually. And, they, and it was really nice to have won that award because it was a culmination of recognition from them that the trend that we started four years ago with our stainless shakers is finally being recognized as something that's interesting, mostly because folks are now starting to look at it as, oh, well, you know, if we're going to go green, then we need to start thinking about reduce, reuse, recycle on the plastics. And if we can get a stainless shaker that looks pretty that you can sit on your counter or on your stove that you won't put in your pantry, so you'll use it more often rather than throwing it away 10 years after you put it in your pantry and forget it's there, right? Um, yeah, well, so now we've yes, given I you mean, a you've done a great job of that. 
that I that's mean, it's pretty. It has good branding. It tastes good, and the 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 icing on the cake, if you will. You you replace mm-hmm. a salt shaker on your table and at your stove with a chain reaction shaker, and you get an eighty percent reduction in sodium immediately, and your mouth will never taste the difference ever. You won't miss it. Interesting. And you're getting eighty percent less sodium out of the gate. Right. Um, it, how can you walk us through the process of how? What actually do you do when you're thinking of what to, to go with something? You cook something and and play around with flavors with it. What do you do? I often wonder where all initially, these ideas come from. Initially, it's conceptual. Um, I think about flavors and flavor profiles and how they work well together. Uh, and this is from experience. The amateur um, celebrity chef is the reference to me having been a part of a reality TV filming where I actually did sous chef with uh, a current Iron Chef America. Oh yeah, there you go. Wow, right. Steph, Steph, Stephanie Azard. Well, you're you're very comfortable in front of the camera. I mean, that I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not the shy type. <laughs> um, yeah, people are just so. I I go back far enough that there was a time when it wasn't like all the culinary students, what they wanted to be, were TV chefs. I mean, I remember when they wanted to be chefs and not TV chefs. TV chefs, right. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. it seems to that me that... That was what after, I wanted to be. I wanted to be. I wanted to be a real chef, not a TV chef. Yeah, well, see, that you're, you're, you know, from the older school there because... I mean, I, people complain all the time, restaurateurs complain all the time, but not trying to hire, I mean, even CIA. Hello? Are you there? Yeah, all of them. I okay. think all of them are like that, particularly the recent graduates, because it's that whole social media influencer trend, right? I mean, everybody wants oh, to yeah. be. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. It's, they're in for a rude awakening if, in fact, you know, they think that they're going to flow through this I mean, it's a hard job. It's a tough industry from start to finish. I, there's no easy part of any of that industry. That's a tough road. So, um, so you start out thinking of a, a, an element like like a protein. Where do you? No, start? I start off thinking. I start off thinking of some combination like coriander mixed in with uh, chickpea, right? So if you think about a traditional falafel, how could I enhance a falafel flavor by bringing something that we have, like a chain reaction or even a pecking order that has coriander in it uh, and turmeric uh, to another type of food? And, And if I don't have the right combo of stuff to make what I want, what is that next thing? We do have a new blend coming out called Texas Twister, that is our wing and rib rub that's going to be released in Q2. Oh, nice. That was born that was born from that exact process, right? I wanted a wing and rib rub that was interchangeable that I could prep things and get a certain warm flavor characteristic from that I wasn't getting from my whole hog or from my other um, my other blends that I used to put those together, or even pecking order. Um, mm-hmm. So we came up with a new one called uh, called Texas Twitter. And that's, and that's pretty much how the creative process works. I, 
I want to I want to layer flavors together, but I don't have something that does that at present. And I'll start experimenting with a new blend and start playing with it. And then I'll cook with it. And then when I get it perfect, I'll I'll put it in a bottle and we'll design a label for it. Well, do you and Manny have the same taste? For the most part, yeah. And well, and it's funny help? because usually I, I apologize for him not being on here because for the most part the two of us can finish just finish each other's sentences too. Oh wow. So, but um, was he always uh, on the same page with you taste-wise, or did you just become more? Absolutely, same same taste, same uh, same um, same willingness to go anywhere in the world and try anything. Uh, we're both very culinarily adventurous. Uh huh. And you travel a lot. We do. We've been to sixty-two countries together. And that's just wow. since we've been together. That's amazing. Yeah, no, we, we always this pandemic has screwed up our travel routine. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's it's not the same as it was. The travel. It's, it's true. A lot of the travel that we did um, was scuba related, but um, last was it last year? Last year, I think we went to the year ago August. Two years ago August. Two years ago August. Two years ago August, we went to. Uh, Egypt, and then coming back from the diving in the Red Sea, we hit uh, Greece, Spain, Italy, Portugal, um, I think Scotland, and then came back. Uh, yeah, Portugal. That's, that's, that's really the only thing we've done since the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Well, pretty soon we maybe should get back on the same routine. They're starting to hold all the festivals. Do you go to all those? Um, food shows too. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I guess Definitely. that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, well, w- what's next, Mike? Gosh, we're this? we're expanding our footprint with Kroger. Uh, we're expanding our footprint with Albertsons uh, Corporate. Um, we are hoping really hard that Sprouts is going to pick us up. We've had some really good discussions with them. Um, uh, their corporate headquarters in Phoenix. Um, asked for some samples and we're really pleased with them and had some good feedback for us. So we're hoping to be on the shelves at Sprouts here shortly as well. Uh, We we are, I think we are, so we have Coburn's up in the northern Midwest. We're missing the central Midwest. I'm hoping that Meyer will take interest in us at some point. And then overseas, we haven't really started mass distribution, but we do have a few specialty shops in the UK, uh, one in France, a couple in Latin America, and one in Mexico that oh, does, do, do carry start. us and, and, and buy stuff from time to time, but they're, they're not high volume by any stretch. Now, in the meantime, how does one um, acquire your products? Obviously, the best way is to hit our website, get on our email distribution. We don't spam you. We send out really good recipes. There's probably 350 or better recipes on the website as it is. The newsletter will highlight some of those for each specific holiday that's coming up uh, and offer promo codes. So the website's a great way to go, but we're also on Amazon. We're on Walmart.com. Um, we do ship overseas. I don't think Amazon allows us to do overseas, but our website on Shopify, really? we, we can do overseas, yeah. The nerve of them, huh? <laughs> I guess. Well, I think we just have to – it's not them. It's us. I think, I think we have to set that up, and we haven't – the shipping is harder shipping with Amazon than it is to ship through Shopify. Shopping, shipping with Shopify is a, a bunch easier. 
So I, I think we just haven't opened up international shipping on Amazon because it was a it was harder to guess the shipping on Amazon's platform than it was having ship, Shopify do it for you. Okay. Well, why don't you repeat your um, website, the URL, and your website for absolutely. Publishers? We are casamspice.com. And Casa on social, M we are at casamspice everywhere. So that's YouTube, uh, Pinterest, uh, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. It's all at Casamspice. It's all the whole social media stuff's a moving target. Yeah, mm -hmm. but there, there's, there's Elon Musk. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he wants to buy a spice company, I, I know a guy. <laughs> and he's got a technology he may, background. He may, he may need some cash. <laughs> well, you're too much. Uh, again, listeners, oh, this is, you really, uh, you're going to love the taste as well as the look of the, these uh, spice blends. And uh, it's Casa M Spice Company. And you have the, uh, the URL there, casamspice.com. And check it out. And, and uh, you've thought of so many little details to make it easy and convenient and delicious to use these spices. So I wish you much continuing success. And, Thanks. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Much appreciated the time. <laughs> and you started to say something, Rabbit? I was just going to let Mike know that we're going to have chicken, and we'll probably put chain reaction on it. Oh, okay. Please. <laughs> Give it a try. Tell me what you think. Okay. <laughs> in, 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 in I, I may cut. play around with that. I don't <laughs> I always like uh, you to You've got to get a mango. Stuff. Get a mango and sprinkle a little bit of chain reaction on it. It is ridiculously good. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds great. Well, listen, this time I am, I am going to hit the stop button this time. Okay. All right. No, no, bye we're, for now, Mike. Thanks, Mike. And uh, I'll Thanks, talk guys. to you again. Bye-bye. Have bye. a great afternoon, everyone. Bye-bye. You too. Bye.